0: Amen. Thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. Let's have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs. That's three years old through the fifth grade. And uh, if you have checked them in already, you can just send them. If you haven't checked them in, then you can go with them to get them checked into their classrooms and pick them up upstairs at the end of the service. Um, This evening, there is no um, Awana ministry tonight uh, Um, and the youth will be meeting, so I want to make that clear. If you do not know the plan for the youth, that's the 6th through 12th grade. Talk to AJ after the service, and he'll get you updated on the plan for that. There will be a, a scavenger hunt around town, so that'll be a lot of fun. You don't want to miss out on it, Um, but the kids ministry will not meet tonight with Awana. So please, um, whatever you're doing with your families tonight, whatever festival or trick-or-treating or or whatever you choose to do as a family, um, do it as a family and enjoy and have some fun. If you are staying home tonight and welcoming trick-or-treaters to your house, um, I'd like to tell you, Bill Sims has brought us some Jesus Film DVDs and also some cards that have the QR code to download the app. And if you want to take the opportunity this evening to uh, distribute any of those, we'd love for you to. There's a few hundred out at the Welcome Center in the lobby, and we'd love for you to give those out as you, if you're going around house to house or if you're having people come to your house tonight, we would love for you to share the hope of the gospel through just gifting those those DVDs to people. So um, take however many you want um, at the end of the service, and uh, feel free to, to use those. Um, if you're not familiar with those DVDs, uh, the ones that we have there, the DVDs are in eight different languages, and, uh, and I think there are three movies in eight languages are the ones that we have, and each of those movies comes with a gospel presentation in any one of those eight languages. The app card, um, if you download the app, you have 1940 different languages and um, so anyone you meet tonight you'll be able to find something in their language to present the gospel to them and and to share the hope of Jesus with them uh, on this day so please please make use of those things Um, also big week coming up for our yard sale Uh, Saturday of this week will be our yard sale on campus it's going to be nuts there's a lot of stuff already. Um, We actually need more stuff. And some of you have said, wow, I can't believe how much stuff is back there in the yard sale. And I'm looking at it and saying, yes, there's a lot, but we could definitely still use more. And so if you have more to bring, bring it and bring it quickly because it still needs to be sorted and we still need some people to help sort. And so um, if at any point this week you have some time to give, to sorting, to pricing, to organizing anything out there, um, please let us know. Talk to myself. Talk to talk to Ramona. Talk to AJ. And uh, pretty much any time the sun is up this week, we would love for you to come over. And uh, and even if the sun is, is down, I mean, for a couple hours it wouldn't be bad. So we need some help. Uh, we need some organization. Um, Stephanie Haynes works incredibly hard to make this happen. She's done a great job. We're in a very good place. With a week to go, but we still need some help for that. Um, we also need some of you to just show up on Saturday, and uh, we'll need some or early morning help on Saturday, and we'll need some people to just come and and purchase some things. Um, this, all of this, is for the Moyer family. We we do yard sales. Um, about every year, and we do it for missions and different opportunities. This year, if you don't know, it is to help with the purchase of a wheelchair accessible van for the Moyer family for their son, Joshua. And um, this family is incredible, and they um, have served our church well. They are wonderful, um, loving. Uh, Stephanie has gone above and beyond in our youth ministry as our custodian here and we just love this family and it's a great opportunity to serve this family and to serve little Joshua. So um, please help however you can. And if you just wanna give towards the need, you can do that. Um, and uh, without you know going through the yard sale, um, you can just put the Moyer uh, or the yard sale in the memo line if you give. Um, this, at the end of the service today, um, there's a couple things happening, so I'm just going to make you aware so that um, when I finish my sermon a little bit early, you don't get excited and like run for the door or anything. Um, We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, and those cups are are under your seat as they as they typically are but then coming out of the lord's supper will be an elder presentation of pastor appreciation so the three pastors will will be up here Uh, many of you asked about and since she's not in the room i'm going to talk about her Uh, many of you have asked about rika and i'll just go ahead and tell you while she's not here we have some plans to celebrate rika Um, but she is not a part of the pastor's appreciation, Um, but we obviously appreciate all that Rika has done, and uh, you'll be hearing more about some plans to thank her for her sacrifice and ministry to us as well. Um, So that's how the service is going to end. We'll we'll wrap the sermon hopefully earlier than usual, but, you know, we'll see. We might just go longer than usual, and uh, then we'll have uh, the Lord's Supper and end with pastor appreciation. Uh, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 13, Verse 10. We're going to talk about the coming of the kingdom. Everyone knows October 31st and the significance of of Halloween, but 504 years ago on October 31st, Martin Luther also um, did something significant on this day. Um, And so many have called this um, throughout Christian history Reformation Day for that reason. Because it was on this day that in earnest, the Protestant Reformation was begun in 1517. Um, And on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther went to the church in Wittenberg, Germany and nailed 95 theses onto the door. These 95 theses were in direct um, disagreement with the Catholic Church of which Martin was a part and everybody was a part. Um, Every church was a part in those days and it led to an incredible breaking of this protesting church the protestant church really does mean protesting they were protesting against the false practices and false gospel of the catholic church in their day and uh, martin and others led this movement of sola scriptura scripture alone sola fide faith alone sola gratia grace alone sola christus christ alone and soli deo gloria glory to God alone. These five solas shaped this movement that was not just, and I kind of, it, it, it chafes me a little bit when people call it a, a, a doctrinal reformation only. It was actually a movement of personal spiritual revival that engulfed an entire continent. It was not just about doctrine. It was about devotion. It was a spiritual awakening for a great number of people who were coming to understand the gospel and understand the role of Scripture in a Christian's life for for the first time. It was a beautiful movement that had lots of offshoots in all sorts of countries, all around Western Europe in particular. And the ripple effects continue to this day. And we would see ourselves as within, though we are a non-denominational church, we would see ourselves within that reformed movement as uh, we have inherited this movement of, of the protection of the gospel, the recapturing of the gospel that happened in that great movement 500 years ago. But as, we, as I mentioned that, I mentioned that to say one of the things that happened in the Reformation, in this sola, soli deo gloria, was this, this redefinition or re-understanding, maybe recapturing is the better word of where the authority really lies. And so in the movement, we saw this sola that said sola scriptura. We're not going to put all of our confidence and trust in the, in the church, um, but we're al- also going to trust scripture. We're going to put scripture the highest authority. But also soli deo gloria, meant We are going to seek the glory of God and the glory of God alone. We're not going to come and and live on mission representing the Catholic church or the nation in which we live, but representing God and God alone. And I was thinking about that this week as I was reading this passage, a passage reflecting on the kingdom of God coming to earth. And in this passage, we see Jesus um, unfolding a kingdom sign for all of us, not just for those that watched him that day. But with this kingdom sign also came two kingdom symbols. And so this passage is all about the coming of the kingdom of God and an opportunity for us to question our loyalty and to question our authority. Who is our authority? Where does our loyalty lie? Because what Jesus was doing is he was shattering the conceptions of the religious establishment of his day for the sake of renewed allegiance to God and God alone and a renewed understanding of what the scriptures had always said, but not been rightly understood. So here we are in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, and we'll first unpack this kingdom sign together. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just to set the stage, um, the ruins of many of these first century synagogues still remain to this day. So if you go to Israel, you can go in and you can walk around the ruins of an, an ancient synagogue from the first century, one that Jesus might have actually walked into and taught himself. Now, what's interesting in the book of Luke, there are several instances of Jesus going into the Sabbath, and being a guest rabbi to teach the Word of God, to teach from the Scriptures in the synagogue. And what would happen is there would be a leader of the synagogue. You're going to see him in this passage in a moment. But the leader of the synagogue is sort of the organizer, the overseer. But there were occasionally guests Traveling rabbis, such as this is how Jesus was considered at this point. Traveling guests that would come and would either read a passage or read and teach a passage and explain this is what the scriptures is saying to us. So that's Jesus's role on this day in the Sabbath in this synagogue. What's interesting is as you'll see um, as this unfolds in this story, this is the last time Jesus is recorded as teaching in a synagogue. And there's a very clear reason for this. It did not end peacefully. Jesus and the ruler of the Sabbath ended in different places because Jesus came in and claimed authority over the scriptures and authority over the law and authority over the ruler of the synagogue. And so as we unpack this, I, I want you to see that what Jesus is doing is he is showing the people that are listening. The kingdom of God is here. You need to question your interpretations. You need to question your loyalties and be faithful to God and God alone. As I said, that you can go to one of these first century synagogues and see the ruins, and you can see there's not, it's not a huge building. But then you look at the life of Christ and you think, There were many times that he had thousands of people following him around, thousands of people listening to him on a a hillside or on a beach somewhere. And most likely in this instance, there are are much more than the 80 people that will fit in the synagogue are there. And 80 is probably generous. That's probably shoulder-to-shoulder standing room only in some of these synagogues. There are people outside of the windows. There are people that are trying to listen through the doorway. There are people crowded all around this building trying to hear what Jesus has to say. And so imagine the synagogue ruler's position as he's been given authority as the ruler of the synagogue, as the primary teacher of the Jewish law in his community. He has a specific role of authority. And here comes Jesus, this guest, who is actually who all the people want to hear from. People want to hear from Jesus. And so as he comes in, the ruler of the synagogue allows him to speak, and then it gets a little out of hand for the ruler of the synagogue. So let's see the story. And now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Verse 11, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, her, he called her over and said to her, woman, "'You are freed from your disability.' "'And he laid his hands on her, "'and immediately she was made straight, "'and she glorified God. "'But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant "'because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, "'said to the people, "'There are six days in which work ought to be done. "'Come on those days and be healed, "'but not on the Sabbath day.' "'Then the Lord answered him, "'You hypocrites.'" Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done to him. You look at verse 17, his adversaries were put to shame. That being the synagogue ruler, you look at the people rejoicing, the synagogue ruler put to shame and frustrated, and you understand why Jesus was never recorded as speaking in the synagogue again. He it was, it was full of controversy. And it doesn't mean that Jesus was rejected on that day. This, isn't, this is maybe a year until the cross happens. So Jesus did lots of preaching and teaching beyond this point. But the preaching and teaching began more and more to be on the hillsides and out of town rather than in the synagogues. Because what did Jesus do? He did a surprising work of liberation. And that surprising work was encountered by a suspicious response of legalism. And the surprising work of liberation, and and trust me, it is liberation based on Jesus' words, So let's let's talk about this first. This woman, 18 years, had been bent over, unable to stand up. And so the question for you, faithful Bible readers and Bible scholars, was this a physical ailment she was suffering from, or was this a spiritual condition? And the answer is Luke actually sort of records it as both. And if you look at the passage, there was in verse 11, this woman had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. But this story is radically different from the other demonic um, interactions that Jesus had. The other times when Jesus is interacting with somebody who is under the oppression or possession of a demonic spirit, there's a lot more just action to it. There's demons answering Jesus. There's demons going into pigs and running pigs off of hillsides. There's demons that are actively causing the person to hurt themselves. So this woman, the, the disabling spirit that she was experiencing was very, very different. This was not demonic possession at the level that we've seen in other passages with Jesus. This woman was certainly oppressed by an evil spirit. In verse 11, it's called a disabling spirit. In verse 16, Jesus doesn't pull any punches and says it's Satan that's weighing her down, Satan that has her bound up. And so we know that this is a spiritual condition. But what I want you to see is that everybody that would have been watching would have seen it as a physical condition. Because they did not see what Jesus saw. And the synagogue ruler himself betrays in his words and in his actions that he did not see it as a spiritual act, what Jesus did. The synagogue ruler was upset about physical healing. And what Luke says about him is in verse 14, the synagogue ruler is indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed." not on the Sabbath. So the synagogue ruler tries to be political, right? He tries to not be anti-healing. He tries to affirm, because what was he gonna do? Was he gonna question what, what Jesus had just done? What's he gonna do? Say, guys, don't listen to him, this isn't real. No, everybody there saw a woman that for 18 years couldn't stand up. Jesus said, woman, you're free, and she stood up and was able to physically walk around and move as normal. So he couldn't question Jesus. He couldn't discredit Jesus's power in the action that Jesus had just done. So what did he do? He tried to limit it. Say, well, this is great. I'm pro-healing. I'm on the healing side. But let's do that six days a week so that we're careful to not break the law and violate the Sabbath. But, one of his, but his biggest mistake in that was actually to see what Jesus had done as a physical act and then call it work, instead of a spiritual deliverance. Because Jesus doesn't say to, him, to the woman, you are healed. He says, you are freed. And so in this, it's something that, that we must be careful about in our understandings and in our interpretations of physical and spiritual conditions. Because the, the boundary line is a little blurry between those two. The boundary line between physical and spiritual does not exist in this woman and in this passage. They are one and the same. And so when we see physical ailments and, 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 fi- and debilitating physical conditions, we need to follow medical science and, and do what we can to go to doctors and find treatments. But at the same time, we don't follow the medical in disregard of the spiritual re-recognize Jesus as the great healer Jesus as the great deliverer and so I, I trust me I don't want you to take away from this passage and say well she had a a physical problem where the root was actually spiritual so therefore we need to avoid all physical solutions and only go spiritual solutions I'm saying I think we need to do both and the interpretation of this passage would lead us to do both to honor good medical care and good medical science as a demonstration of common grace that that says God has allowed people to learn and understand aspects of the human body and to know how to keep the body healthy, how to heal diseases, those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, we don't trust in humans or human ingenuity or modern medical science. We trust in God, in God alone. And so we work both we, we, we go down the physical route of medicine and healing, but we also remember the spiritual condition that we are all in and that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, against spiritual powers in dark places. And so I think that's the first thing we need to see about this. The first place that the suspicious reaction of the synagogue ruler got it wrong. He called a... I mean, what's wrong? What's wrong with spiritual ministry on the Sabbath day? What, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with God by his spirit doing something miraculous on the Sabbath day? That's not work. The only reason the Sabbath ruler saw it as work is that he had physical glasses on and he was seeing what Jesus did as a physical healing, not an act of spiritual liberation. And so when we so, so readily Assume everything is spiritual and assume that what we see is all that's going on We can come to wrong conclusions the same way that this man did And so we must recognize that every battle is a spiritual battle that every battle is not against the flesh and blood that we see against us Even if the flesh and blood that we see against us is making us mad That the actual battle is not against that person but against the spiritual wickedness in high places And so the synagogue ruler Notice he didn't combat Jesus to his face. So, I mean, picture this. When Jesus comes into the synagogue, the synagogue ruler had to welcome him and had to say, okay, we're going to have Jesus as Nazareth as our guest rabbi. He's going to read from the Torah and then he's going to explain it to us. And as he's doing this, this woman comes walking in and we see this woman that she cannot stand up. And everybody knows what's going on here. And then Jesus says to her, woman, you are freed. and and host, synagogue ruler, doesn't come to Jesus and express his frustration directly to Jesus. He doesn't come to Jesus and say, hey, buddy, it's the Sabbath. You shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. No, no, he's angry at Jesus. He is indignant, according to Luke. And therefore, because he is indignant, he stands and addresses the crowd and says, what you have seen here, and what he's saying, what he effectively says, what you have seen here is inappropriate. It may have been an incredible display of power over evil and over sickness. But what you have seen here is inappropriate. Come back when it's not the Sabbath if you want healing. Don't come for healing on the Sabbath. He can actually look at the work of God and disbelieve because of his wrong assumptions about what is going on here. But in order to understand really the the crux of, of what's happening with him, where the kingdom is uh, is revealed to this woman and through this woman it's rejected by this uh, by the synagogue ruler and then it's also kind of uh, redefined for the crowd because the thing about the kingdom of God in the unfolding of the gospels is it never works exactly how the audience expects it to work it's always just a little bit different Jesus is always just a little bit different sometimes it's radically different but it's always at least a little bit different And so uh, what does this have to say to us about the kingdom? It says to us that Jesus has authority over the kingdom of darkness. And so what he's doing is is two things here. He is claiming authority over the kingdom of darkness and proving it by loosing the bonds of Satan. And then telling people, I loosed the bonds of Satan. And claiming, he's demonstrating authority over Satan and then claiming authority over Satan in case anybody was like the synagogue ruler and thought what he did was purely physical and not spiritual. No, no, what I did, I just claimed victory over Satan in liberating that woman so she could stand and walk. So that's part one, declaring victory over the kingdom of darkness. But, but part two, he's also claiming authority over the very law itself. And he's claiming authority over the religious establishment of his day. He's claiming authority over the synagogue ruler. Because what he's saying, and what he says later, is the man was not made for the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath was made for man. And what we learn from the entirety of the book of Galatians is that the law was given to us as a tutor, as an educator, to bring us into the knowledge of Christ. The purpose of the law is to show you that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And that because you're a sinner in need of salvation, you cannot get right on your own. But rather the whole of the law exposes your sin, exposes your your depravity, your weakness, so that you know you're left in a place at at the conclusion of the law, at the conclusion of the old covenant, you're left in a place to say, I need something else to happen. I cannot receive righteousness from God through this legal system because I'm not a part of the nation of Israel. And even the nation of Israel, it's sacrifice after sacrifice in order to atone for sin, partially cover over sin and atone for sin. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus starts to live a life of perfection in which he never violates the law. And right here, the guy's claiming he is. And so he has to prove It's important It's important that the Savior that dies never violates the law. So when he's accused of violating the law, he has to make it clear that he has not. So that we know that Jesus is not just the Son of God, but he is the Son of God who lived a life of perfect moral perfection and obedience to the law. So that when he died, he was completely righteous. And that's important because the completely righteous Son of God took the sin of the world on him so that we might not be punished for our sin, but rather be made completely righteous in him through exchange. And so the law of God is a tutor that leads us to knowledge of the need for Christ and then Jesus is the one that comes in and interprets that for us and shows us how the law has revealed himself. And so don't you dare use the law against Jesus, synagogue ruler. Don't you dare try to condemn Jesus from the law that is pointing to him. That's what he is is helping us to understand here. Because in in his understanding of the law, he points out the hypocrisy of the synagogue ruler to say, so if your ox or your donkey was tied up, was bound on the Sabbath, and therefore could not get a drink of water, would you untie him and let him get a drink of water on the Sabbath? Or would you say, I can't untie that knot until Sunday morning? Sorry, donkey, you get no water today. He's saying, you care more about your animals than you do about this woman. Their animal rights activism is better than their compassion for their sister. And he's, and he, he's saying, this is hypocrisy, guys, because all I did. I, I love this image when you really see it rightly. He's saying, synagogue ruler, you think what I did was hard, and you're missing the extent of my power. That was not work. I just untied a knot. I defeated Satan, and defeating Satan for me is like you untying a knot. That's the comparison Jesus is making. He is claiming such authority, such power, such strength over Satan that says, it's literally what I did in in freeing that woman from 18 years of debilitating physical condition and demonic oppression. That 18 years was just me untying a knot. That's the, the extent of my strength over Satan. And so what do we do with the Sabbath? I want to make it clear here. Um, The Sabbath is still part of the Old Covenant law. Jesus is not ignoring the Sabbath. Jesus is not saying the Sabbath doesn't matter. Jesus is saying you missed the point. And the point of the Sabbath is that the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. And what that means when Jesus says that is that the Sabbath doesn't hold the authority over man to oppress men to be required. We must do the Sabbath. Rather, God in his grace gave the gift of the Sabbath to people and he wrote it into his law to say, this is how important it is. Because the Sabbath does actually, the failure to live a Sabbath life does reveal really deep sin in our hearts and minds. And and here's why. I think it's understanding the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is rest and worship. And so a violation of the Sabbath is idolatry. Violation of the Sabbath is to say, I can't take a day off from my work. I've got to work seven days. I've got to do this. And if I don't do this, I won't be able to provide for my family. I won't be able to keep my job. I'll I'll lose my business, whatever. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The point of the Sabbath is to work for six days and then rest and give your work to God. Give the work of your hands by faith and confidence in the sovereign protection of God to actually clock out and go home and stay home and give the day to Him without being worried and obsessed over the work of your hands, thinking that if I don't do this, everything will fail. It's the same. The illustration goes back to the farmer, and Jesus loves agricultural analogies. The farmer does everything he can to make the seed grow and cannot make the seed grow himself. The farmer can plant. He can prepare the soil. He can water. He can learn everything about the nature of the seed. He can learn everything about the nature of the soil. He can learn everything he can to do his part, but ultimately God gives the growth. God in his grand design of the way the seed works, God in his bringing of the sun every day and his bringing of rain and bringing nutrients into the soil to germinate within the plant and for the plant to grow. That is what God does. And the Sabbath shows us that you can only do so much to provide for yourself. And at the end of the day, you've got to stop and turn your work, turn your family Turn your livelihood over to God and trust him. So failure to live in faithfulness and confidence that allows you to rest on the Sabbath, that's idolatry. That's idolizing your work. Failure to, the, so purpose one, rest. Purpose two, worship. Failure to worship on the Sabbath is an idolatry of anything else because you have put some other priority in front of the worship of God, in front of the living as a kingdom citizen. There's some loyalty that is greater to you than God if you cannot worship on the Sabbath, if you cannot devote one day to the Sabbath. So the question on the Sabbath then is, okay, when is the Sabbath? Okay, I've just said the Sabbath is important. The Old Covenant law is still important. We still value and honor the Sabbath, still live out the Sabbath. So when do we do it? Well, in, in the Old Covenant, the Sabbath is Saturday, is the seventh day of the week. Jesus rose on a Sunday and the early church in response to that said we are now going to worship on Sunday. That was good and right and blessed by God. And so what I would say to you is that the Sabbath is not about a particular day. It's about a particular action of rest and worship. And so I would encourage your family to have a discussion about how you can take a day, a 24-hour period, to rest and worship. And if it's Sunday, that's great. Make it the Lord's day. Make it the Lord's day and, and give it to him fully. If your situation makes, puts you in a position where S- Sunday is not the best day to devote to the Lord, I would encourage you, find another 24-hour period and do it. Do it in rest. Do it in worship. And stop idolizing the work of your hands or the other priorities you have, but to give it to Jesus. The point of the Sabbath is not to be an oppressive yoke on God's people. The point of the Sabbath is it's a gift from God in which we declare God gives the growth. God provides. God provides for my, my family. God provides for my finances, and I'm gonna trust him enough to take some time to rest and take some time to worship. So Jesus understands this about the Sabbath the way that, that the, the synagogue ruler just doesn't get it. He views... The law as an oppressive yoke in which he must fulfill and must fulfill it to the nth degree in order to live in righteousness. And so this is where I see that the kingdom has been revealed to the woman. The kingdom has been rejected by the synagogue ruler. And the kingdom of God is being redefined as the law of God is being redefined. And, and I'm not saying redefined as in the meaning of the law changes. I'm saying that in the fulfillment of the law in Jesus it is revealed that the understanding of the law in first century Israel was wrong. They misunderstood the role of the law. And for that reason, they couldn't see Jesus. That's why Jesus can look and say, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find life. They testify about me. The law was pointing to Jesus the whole time. And those that didn't see it were living in a wrong interpretation of the law, a wrong understanding of, of what the old covenant was all about. And so that's the coming of the kingdom, a declaration of power over the kingdom of darkness and a declaration of authority over the interpretation of the kingdom of God. Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here and I'm the king. And as the king, I get to explain to you, I get to interpret for you what you thought you knew, but what you misunderstood along the way. And now we have these two kingdom symbols that Jesus brings us. And notice that that we can divide our scriptures into paragraphs that weren't there originally. Um, And when Luke was was writing uh, Luke chapter 13, there weren't paragraph divisions. So your Bible probably separates the last line of verse 17 from the first line of 18, but recognize that the first line of 18 is in response, still in the synagogue, still talking about what was happening with this woman and the synagogue ruler, okay? So same context, verse 18. He said, therefore... What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Two kingdom symbols. The kingdom of God is like a tiny seed, and the kingdom of God is like a growing fungus because ultimately that's what leaven is. The kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God starts small and even when, it is un- when the growth is unseen, the growth expands. Again, we have this farming illustration in uh, 18 and 19 of the, il- of the mustard seed. The farmer can prepare the soil, can prepare the ground as much as he can, can plant this tiny little mustard seed, put it in the ground, And it's going to be weeks before he knows if anything has happened. And he can pray and he can water and he can watch and he can hope that the soil has proper nutrients, but he doesn't know what's going on beneath the surface until it comes up through the surface. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. That so much of the most essential growth is happening below the surface in hearts and minds at a level at which we do not see. And you know, it would be easy for a farmer to be impatient. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I would think it'd be a a job that would lead to a level of frustration. And if you're not really good at patience, you shouldn't be a farmer. But in that impatience, the farmer's got to be sitting there and thinking, okay, when is that seedling coming out? When am I going to see a shoot pop out of the ground? And when wondering, questioning, and then that day, that day that that seed pops out of the ground, he said, okay. We've made it one step. But there are plenty of times anybody that's ever planted something means that just because something springs out of the ground doesn't mean it's healthy and it's going to be healthy from that point on. And so it takes some more work and prayer and some more health and growth given by God to see it grow. And, you know, it would be easy for us to become so frustrated with others or frustrated with God because we don't see the kingdom growing and expanding the way we think it should. We're frustrated with others because we've, shown them the truth of the gospel. We've presented to them the case that they are a sinner in need of salvation and that Christ is the only way to be right with God and that they are on their way to an eternity in hell if they do not turn. Maybe you've shown that to somebody that you love. And it's easy to get frustrated when that growth is just not happening. The seed is just not germinating. You're just not seeing any change, any growth at all. Or maybe you're frustrated with somebody who, was once in a growing position and has now stopped and is going the other way. Or maybe you're frustrated with God because you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've done your part and it just feels like maybe God's not doing his part. Why is God not hearing my prayer? Why is God not answering my call? Why is God not doing what I expect? A couple weeks ago, we looked at the illustration of the leaven of the Pharisees which is the second picture is leaven of the kingdom of God. And I want to be clear in separating the two illustrations of leaven, because they're similar but different. Leaven of Pharisees, bad. Leaven of kingdom of God, good. Simple enough, right? But the, the similarity is that when Jesus was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, it was in context talking about a cup that is clean on the outside, looks clean, looks good, and filthy on the inside, He's talking about the Pharisees who look outwardly righteous, but are inwardly decaying. And therefore, they spread the disease of their unrighteousness without knowing it. They spread the decay. While everybody around them is looking for righteousness from them, the people around them do not recognize that they're actually spreading unrighteousness, idolatry, and blasphemy of God. That, that's the illustration that Jesus is giving with leaven. That leaven spreads in an unseen way. The influence of the Pharisees is spreading in an unseen, destructive way. Now, look at the kingdom. It's different. The leaven is still unseen. The impact is often unseen. But the spread is just as significant, but in a good way, in a righteous way. And so the, the Pharisees can spread evil without realizing it and with the people that are receiving the evil from them not realizing it. Um, And so God is working in his kingdom in ways that we don't always see. And God's spirit is at work in ways we don't understand. And God uses our little actions of kingdom faithfulness in ways that we don't always see and understand little actions of obedience, little actions of proclaiming that that you live your life for the glory of God, little words of encouragement, little points of truth, little scripture quotations, uh, little opportunities to engage in conversation to love someone and to love someone and point them to Jesus. Those little kingdom actions are great and weighty in the expanse of the kingdom of God. And it may just look like a mustard seed, or may just look like, like a little bit of leaven. But the leaven, when it enters into the loaf, changes the chemical, the chemical makeup of the entire loaf, and it becomes something very, very different. And as it becomes something very, very different, we don't always see what is happening as we act as ambassadors of leaven, ambassadors of leaven into the, the, into the world around us to spread kingdom purity in the same way that the Pharisees would spread king, or would spread unrighteous disease. And so we'll, we'll, we'll close it here with this understanding. If you are a follower of Jesus, you live with your authority placed first and foremost in the kingdom of God and in Jesus as king. And so there's no other authority, whether in your workplace, in your family, in your city, in your nation, no other authority or or um, uh, no other power has has the level of influence over you as the kingdom of God should. We've got to understand that. We've got to recognize that. We're kingdom citizens first. And as kingdom citizens, we have opportunities, and sometimes we have big opportunities. Listen, God doesn't look down on big kingdom opportunities. If you have a big kingdom opportunity to preach the gospel to a lot of people or do something big for God, do it. But this these two signs, these two symbols here of the mustard seed and leaven are emphasizing to us that God doesn't always work in big visual ways, that God works in the still small voice, that God works in the faithful behind-the-scenes obedience of his children, in the, in the little encouraging words, in the Bible verses that are shared, in the prayers that are prayed, in the, in the seasons of prayer, when it's just you on your knees in the presence of God, praying for people that may never know the extent to which you prayed for them. That's a kingdom act, an act of kingdom obedience, proclaiming the authority of God over your life on behalf of somebody else, trying to move somebody else closer into relationship with Jesus. That's how we live as kingdom citizens. And so, tonight, tomorrow, this week, and every day of our lives, we have the opportunity to start small and start with one. And so, as we prepare, I'm gonna have the band come up, and we're gonna to prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. And I said last week, it can become so frustrating to look at a withered tree and not see growth and yet, what God tells us is that God's the one bringing the growth. It can be so frustrating to have planted kingdom seeds under the ground and not see it come to fruition. And so, what we're about to do here is they're going to sing a song. I want you to stand and sing. I want you to go to your knees and, and pray. I want you to come forward and pray. But I want you to go to the Lord with a fresh understanding that you're a sinner, saved by grace by a broken body and shed blood. And so maybe today what we most need to do is to become intercessory ambassadors in prayer on behalf of others. Because you've received the gospel. If you've accepted Jesus as your son or as your savior and you have become a son of God, if you've given your life to him, you've received the gospel. That's great news. We celebrate that today. But what about everybody else? What about those who have not yet heard and have not yet received? As we praise God for the beauty of his sacrifice for us today, may we not forget to go to God's presence on behalf of others that have not yet received that same gift. So take the posture of worship that the Spirit leads you to. Stand and sing, kneel and pray on behalf of others. If you need to come and talk to somebody, come and find me.
1: My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine! I can sing, all is mine, yet not I. is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoice, for in my need, his power is displayed, to this I sure the price it has been paid for jesus bled and suffered for my part and he was raised
0: Here, you can be seated, we are here in the presence of God, not by our own actions, but because of Christ in us, who has brought us to newness of life. So I'd invite you to take that first layer of plastic off of the cup. And I'll remind you that this is a covenant meal for those who have been brought into the fellowship of being in Christ, one body with Christ, because of your confession of your sin, and your confession of Him as Lord and Savior. And so I would invite you to not partake of this meal if you have any doubts or any questions, but actually to have those resolved and then come and we'll, we'll do this again. But this is a covenant meal for those that are in Christ. And so therefore, as you take the body and I want you to place it in your hand, hold it above your head. And in doing this, you're remembering that Christ's body was broken. Specifically, For you, as it was broken for the sins of all mankind, for all that would come, is specifically for you as one of his children. His body was broken so that you might receive righteousness in him. Do this in remembrance of him. And then take the cup as a reminder of the shed blood of Jesus. For each of us, covenants were always sealed with blood throughout the scriptures, Old and New Covenant. The Old Covenant, through a series of sacrifices, blood of, of animals. And then the author of Hebrews helps us understand that the blood of bulls and goats was never intended to be the final atoning sacrifice, but it was the lion and the lamb, the conquering lion of Judah. And the Lamb of God, the suffering servant of Isaiah, came to take our sin away and to be slaughtered for us. And so when you receive this cup, you receive the blood of Jesus as payment for your sin and as a cleansing flood through which you can be made right and righteous. Do this in remembrance of him. Now let me pray. Father, I praise you for this sacrifice that we have just received anew. I pray that in the receiving of your broken body and shed blood, we would receive a fresh sense of your grace and mercy poured out on the cross. We pray that we would be renewed day by day in the knowledge of who you are, that you would be by your spirit continually conforming us into the image of your son, Because we who were not righteous have been made righteous at the throne of God. But, Father, we long to live as representatives of that righteousness to a greater degree. We want to conform greater into the image and character of the righteous Son of God, Jesus. And so, Father, by your Spirit, bring us into greater sanctification, into greater obedience. Father, may we be more like you. We praise you for your broken body and shed blood, O oh Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to ask now the elders that are going to join for Pastor Appreciation to come up, and um, we'll have the other pastors join us. I, I want to remind you, anytime we take up communion, we also seek to remind that—you guys can come on up, grab that microphone—we um, also seek to remind you that um, as much as we have freely received the goodness of the blood of jesus so we're called to freely give, and typically we would take up the Samaritan offering, which we have not been doing recently, but I want to remind you that the Samaritan ministry exists to send monies outside of our church into the community to help and serve others. So, in receiving the Lord's Supper, I encourage you to now give to the the work of the Lord in our community. This is Steve, one of our elders, and I'm going to let him take it from here.
2: All right, thank you, Tim. Uh, Good morning to each of you. Uh, As Tim just mentioned, my name is Steve Fain, and it's my privilege and honor to preside over a demonstration of how much we love and appreciate our pastors. And we are are truly, truly indeed fortunate and blessed to have those uh, standing uh, behind me. And I'm going to do maybe a little different this year. Uh, I'm going to, although they're all gathered collectively behind us, Uh, I'm I'm going to ask, uh, we're going to start with Tim and Jess, and I'd like for them just to take a few steps forward uh, where I want them to feel individually uh, appreciated. So Tim and Jess, uh, we, and I say we, the elders and the fellowship family, want to say how much we deeply, deeply appreciate each (laughs) of you and for your family as well. And Tim, we just see every Sunday, you are a gifted teacher and preacher. God has given you those spiritual gifts, you have nurtured them, you have grown in them. You have a wonderful ability to make old things seem new. Uh, I've been a, a, a Christian for almost 45 years. And yet, each time I come, and I'm familiar with most of these passages you preach, yet you are able to bring them alive, where they speak to me every Sunday in a new way. And I thank you for that. That's really, and and each time you, you can exhort us and stimulate and motivate us to love and good deeds. And Tim, I want to thank you for your shepherd's heart. You love each of us. You continually sacrifice yourself for us. You know each of us. If you've been here over twice, Tim knows who you are. And he knows your, he knows your needs. He knows your joys. You know our sufferings. And you're constantly motivated to tend us as sheep, And to meet our physical and spiritual needs. And I want to also thank you, Tim, that you are a steady, effective leader. I see that on the elder board and have for many, many years. You're wise, you're kind, and you're gracious in your leadership. You typify a servant leader. And I thank you for that. And I want to thank both of you, all of you, for your sacrificial devotion and caring for us. It's amazing. And I know you pay a cost for that. And I thank you. I thank you for that. And we appreciate you and we love you. Thank you. If you want to step back. Jason is here, and obviously, Emily. Hey, buddy. (laughs) Emily's on the live stream. Okay, hi, Emily. (laughs) But, Jason, we appreciate you and your family as our uh, worship pastor. And I thank you, and we thank you for your heart of worship. We see it every Sunday up here in your words, in your songs, in your actions. And we see it in your life, the way you live your life. This morning, as he gave the example of failing to understand the depravity of his sins. Now, that's insightful, the insight that he shared with us. And I appreciate your willingness to do that. Um, And I I, I thank you. You also demonstrate, Jason, a servant's heart. When Tim was on sabbatical, for example, you stepped up and took on other duties. Vacation Bible school this summer. When you were needed, you stepped up all out and kept up with all your normal duties. I thank you for your servant's heart that you demonstrate every day. And I thank you that, Tim, that you are a wonderful example of a loving, devoted husband and father. We see that, that know you, maybe more than most, how you demonstrate to all the men here what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I thank you for that example. I thank you. And I thank you for showing me how to worship. Being an old guy, coming from a different school of thought, you have taught me that worship is a matter of the heart and not a matter of my getting outside of my comfort zone. Worship is not about me. It's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that, and I praise you. And I thank you for being our worship pastor. Amen, brother. (laughs) All right. Uh, AJ, if y'all would step up just a few feet. I praise God for you, too. I praise God for you, AJ, and for Carson. I thank you for coming to us. And you've only been here for a few months, yet you have made a mark on me and I think the youth of our church. I have seen, A.J., that you listen to God. You not only listen, seeking his voice, but you obey when he tells you. And we, folks, are the beneficiary of that. He, God called him, and you obeyed that call and came to us. And we are indeed grateful. And A.J., I have seen in you an amazing ability to build relationships. it's almost as, almost as we're back in the back with the men on Tuesday nights, I have seen your ability to understand them, to reach out to them, to listen to them. To care for them in the way that you conduct yourself around them. And that's a wonderful gift that God has given you. The ability to relate quickly and to be a good listener. I thank you. And I thank you that you're available and flexible. And by that I mean, when the need came, when... Jason, for uh, valid reasons, was not able to come. As you noticed, he stepped up here. And I I have not looked recently at his job description, but it probably doesn't include leading worship. Yet you did, and you did it very well. And you did it with a great attitude. And thank you for that attitude and that willingness to serve. And I also want to thank you for the great father I know you're going to be. So thank you for being our worship and youth. (laughs) That's right. That's right, pastor. Thank you all. Y'all can step back down. Uh, And we, yeah, we do need to give them a hand. And so uh, now we want to give them some small gifts. And I see I've got my team here that I couldn't do without. And the first, we want to give the pastors uh, Some gifts and cards. Yeah, come on up. And uh, engaged their three, uh, their card from the elders saying how grateful we are. And it has a monetary gift in there. And I think also there is a, uh, we ask you to to bring in cards or letters or notes. uh, And those are being handed out there. As you can see, there are many. But it's not too late. If you didn't think of getting yours in, please send it in anyway. I, uh, even though late, they, they would know it and they would appreciate it. Um, and also, we want to be grateful for the wives. And of course, you too, Emily. You're included, obviously. Uh, because I, we recognize that their service is made possible uh, the, the, the pastor's service is made possible because of the, uh, the wives and their families' support and sacrifice. We know you're behind the scenes, encouraging them, motivating them. And, and we deeply appreciate that. And uh, also we have, uh, for the ladies, you can see the, the orchids, the beautiful orchids that are, uh, I think, representative of their beautiful spirits. Uh, as they minister to their husbands and families and thus to us. Uh, So, now, we also have, I believe, is it back there somewhere, the frame? Uh, Jess, we have become aware of your developed skill in arranging flowers and flower arrangements. (laughs) She's being humble, I'm sure. And uh, so, we wanted to give you a... Uh, it's pretty heavy. Greg, be careful. <laughs> this is a ra- It had to be explained to me exactly what this was, <laughs> but uh, <it's laughs> this is a rack, as you can see, to and the baskets, you have the baskets, two baskets. We yeah, we can hang it up there, maybe. For her to exercise her new developed talent in in uh, putting together flower arrangements uh, and plants in those hangers and baskets, so uh, use it well. We're looking forward to seeing it. Take a picture and put it on the put it on the web where we can all enjoy it. I think that's that, has a, that part of the web has a name, but all right. So. I would, at this time, I would like just to offer a prayer uh, for, for the, our, our pastors and their families. So please join with me in prayer, by your heads, if you would. Oh, Father, we thank and we praise you for these men and their families and their love And ministry to each of us. Lord it's been profound and deep. We thank you for the giftedness and the talents. Which they use on our behalf. Every day. Lord we thank you for their faithfulness. To you and to us. And Lord we thank you for their families. Especially their wives who sacrifice greatly. To support their ministries to us. And Lord we pray that you would watch and protect them. From the evil one and evil men. I pray that you would give them wisdom. In the decisions that they have to make every day. I pray that they would know and experience. The power of the risen Jesus Christ. In their lives and in their ministries. And Lord, I just especially pray that you would just heal their hearts of any injuries and wounds that life has brought their way. Ministry is hard, it is difficult. Lord, just bless them and heal them. Lord, I pray that you would meet every need they have in Christ. And let let the mind of Christ, Lord, be in them day in and day out. I pray, Lord, that they would have joy in their ministries and that their ministries would bear lasting fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, at this time, yes, let's give them a big hand. Let's go ahead. I want you all to step down. Yeah, I guess I'm, pl- I'm closing this thing, right? Yeah, I'll do the open? Okay, y'all come on down. Little, little uh, discussion there off the record. And I'm having them come down or ask them to come down to the floor in order that they would be available to you at the close of the service to come forward and speak a word of gratitude Yeah, everyone, everyone, the whole families. Yeah, that's right. Come on up. And so Emily is obviously not here, so you're gonna have to call her or speak to her at some other time. But I, you know, I read one time that that gratitude is recognizing what others do for us and telling them that you're thankful. So they're going to be up here. I'm going to close in prayer. And then they're going to be up here. And I encourage all of you to come up and personally give them a hug and shake their hand. So I want to uh, pray a prayer of blessings on our pastors and their families. So let's bow our head. This is going to be a closing prayer. And Lord, I pray and I thank you for each of these men and their families. Lord, I pray that your loving kindness and goodness would follow them all the days of their lives. Lord, I pray that your favor would be upon them, it would be upon their families and their children and their children's children. Lord, and I pray that you would protect them and keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face and to be upon them, and be gracious to them. I pray that you would set your countenance upon them and give them peace in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.